0: John 15 verse 9 we're going through a short two-month study on Tuesday nights of looking at the last words of Jesus to his followers before he goes to the cross and these are very powerful profound words that Jesus shares with his followers and so we want to look at them tonight and certainly apply these thoughts these principles to our lives as well now last week if you were here we saw that fellowship with Jesus equals fruitfulness. He talked about being the vine and how we need to be branches that are continually connected to him and when we stay in fellowship with him we will be fruitful. We don't need to focus on the fruit. All we need to focus on is staying connected to the vine and when we do that Jesus said we will be fruitful. So Fellowship equals fruitfulness, productivity in our Christian life. Tonight, we're going to see two other things that fellowship does. Fellowship equals friendship with God. Fellowship equals friendship with God. But there's another side of that coin, and that is fellowship with God, friendship with God, also equals hatred of the world. Hatred of the world. So Jesus was sharing these things to prepare His disciples. He was getting ready to go to the cross in less than 24 hours. Then He was going to raise from the dead, show Himself alive for 40 days, and then He was going to ascend to the Father. And so what He was laying down in these chapters was going to prepare His disciples to, in a sense, live life to the fullest, without Him physically being present. And that's why this is so applicable to us, because obviously Jesus Christ is not physically maybe present with us, but He is present through His Holy Spirit who lives within us as believers in Jesus Christ. And so with that said, let's look at these verses tonight. I want to start in verse 9. Profound thought here. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Wow. And that word, love, there means to dearly love. In a sense, he's saying, the father's crazy about me, the son, and guess what? I am crazy about you. I dearly love you. I love you with a supernatural, selfless, sacrificial, life-altering, agape, Greek word, love. If we leave here tonight, all of us, with nothing, let's remember this. God dearly loves you. He not only loved the disciples, He loved, He loves us. He dearly loves us. Then notice what He says in John fifteen nine. He says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Same word that he was using in the first eight verses to talk about fellowship. The word means to abide, to continue. It is a word of fellowship. What's Jesus mean by remain in his love? You mean that that his love is conditional? That if I disobey and don't do something right that he'll stop loving me? No, not at all. The Bible clearly teaches that God's love is unconditional love. Whether we obey or not, God still loves us. In fact, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he's not talking here about relationship as we talk. He's talking about fellowship. And what he's simply reminding us of is that I will never stop loving you. But in your fellowship with me, you will place yourself In a position where you can truly enjoy, experience, and be blessed by my love. That's what he's talking about. By remain in my love. Let me give you what I think could be the the best biblical illustration of this. The story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son grows up, says, Dad, I want my inheritance. Takes his inheritance from his father, goes out, and just lives it up. Lives in sin. Does what he wants to do. And eventually he gets to the point where he's in so much pain because of his sin that he wakes up one day spiritually and says, what have I done with my life? And of course, you know the story. He, he goes back to his father. Now, here's the thing. A couple things. First of all, the father never stopped loving his son. And, and one of the things that, that really impacted me was, but the father didn't chase after the son either. Which sometimes, say, as parents, we're tempted to do when we see our children making a lot of pain for themselves. We, we try to almost prevent it, but the father knew something that, that we need to realize too, and that was that it was only going to be through the pain that repentance would come and he would turn back to God. And so instead of trying to soften the blow of his decision, the father, in love, actually allowed the blow to be felt to its fullest so that it would wake his son up. Now, he didn't know for sure, but that was the wisest thing to do. But but here's the point I want to make. The father never stopped loving his prodigal son. But all the time that his prodigal son Was running away from God and running away from his Father, he could not experience, he could not enjoy the Father's love for him. He could could not uh, experience the blessings and favor of his Father's love. There, There was a distance there. And that is the illustration of what Jesus is saying here when he says, Remain in my love. It's not that if we become disobedient and go our own way that God stops loving us. But we can take ourselves as believers out of the place where we can truly enjoy God's love, experience God's love, and sense his blessing in favor of his love. It's all part of fellowship with God. And then he says, if you obey my commandments, you'll remain in my love. In other words, he's saying, and here's the key. The key to fellowship with me is obedience. When one is obedient, one puts himself in fellowship with me. We don't obey to become a Christian. We don't believe that the Bible teaches we work ourselves to heaven. And that's why we have to differentiate the passages that are talking about relationship and fellowship. Because here, Jesus is talking about fellowship and he's saying, if you want to remain in fellowship with me, you've got to obey. Folks, Any of us as children and parents know that to be true in our own relationships with each other. It's not that if our children disobey us, they're no longer our son or daughter. But if they disobey us, the fellowship may be broken for a while. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Obedience is is one of the great keys to remaining in fellowship with God. But I want to point this out as well. Remember the word obey here in the Greek language means to handle and observe God's word with care, his commandments with care. To handle and observe with care. And so what I want to point out, because this was this was impactful for me to remind myself and remember, is that obedience here, the word obey, isn't as much talking about the action of obedience as the attitude. What do I mean by that? Well, By Jesus using the word commandment here, one of the things he's reminding us of is these weren't suggestions that God gave us. Like where God said, hey, you know what, Jeff, if you feel like doing this someday, do it. If not, that's up to you. No. When God gives us commandments, first of all, he gives them to us for our highest good out of his love. If we're going to experience life at the highest level, we should obey. But there's also that idea that within this idea of obeying his commandments, it's, it's as if we have an attitude of respect for what God has said, that we're willing to handle and observe what he says with care. In other words, I guess what I'm trying to say, because I've been there before in my life many times as a Christian, where it's like, God tells me to do something. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. It was a command. God said, this is what I want you to do. And it's almost like there were times in my Christian life, it's like, oh, God, I don't care what you said. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. And there was that attitude behind it of like, I don't, I don't really care what you think, God, and, and what you're telling me to do. I'm not going to do it. And it's more the attitude that's behind it that breaks fellowship. By sort of treating the commands of God, what God says is best for my life, is this, if it's, it's, it's insignificant, it's of no consequence, that I know better, God, than you do. And I'm going to take control of my own life, and I'm going to do my own thing. Well, you, you and I can see why then that would begin to hurt fellowship with God. Because in a sense, we're disrespecting God by not obeying His commandments. First of all, we're basically treating His commandments as if these are, like I said, advice or suggestions that God gives, but not real commandments. And then it's the idea that, that we think that somehow they're optional. Somehow that, that God gives us sort of a bunch of different commands in His Word, and it's sort of like a smorgasbord. And we go through and pick out the commands that we like, and we just sort of discard the ones that we don't. And so Jesus says, if you obey my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commandments and remain in his love. Now notice verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you. That's profound. Jesus says, look, well, let me say this. The world says to us, you want real joy in your life, live your life apart from God. God's a killjoy because of all these commandments and all this kind of stuff that God says we should live this way and not live this way. Man, if you really want to have fun and be happy and be fulfilled and satisfied, live your life apart from God. And what Jesus is saying is just the opposite. If we truly want to be happy, joyful, fulfilled, satisfied, experience life to the fullest, We will be in continual fellowship with God because when we are on the same page with God and we are living in fellowship with Him, it doesn't get any better than that. And there is nothing that can happen around us that can affect that. That's why joy in the Bible, biblical joy is different from, in a sense, uh, happiness in our life. Because happiness is dependent on our circumstances, usually. Things are going well, we're happy. Things aren't going well, we're not happy. Joy is this deep-seated inner pleasure, if you will, that a Christian has that comes from Jesus himself. My joy can be in you. Think about that. The joy of Jesus, the same joy that, that the writer of Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, that same joy that is in Jesus can be in me. Yeah, through fellowship. The more you, what Jesus here is talking about in verse 11 is really what I call the exhilaration of fellowship with God. That there is nothing better, no matter what else is going on in my life, when I, like Mary, the sister of Martha, have that sitting at his feet moments, and I'm just soaking up Jesus. And, and I'm just fellowshipping with him, and I am in his presence, and he is pouring his life and his strength and his grace and his joy and all these things into me. His peace, all these things. It doesn't get it. That's why someone like Paul could be in prison and be singing praises. How can that be? Because Paul had the joy of the Lord. And let's not forget, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is our what? Our strength. Our strength. See, when we're in fellowship with God and experiencing the exhilaration of fellowship with God, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. They can throw us in prison, they can take away this, they can take away that. Gets back to what I said at the beginning. Everything without God is inferior to God without everything. And that's really what Jesus is saying. It doesn't get any better than exhilaration of fellowshipping with God. I'm going to use an example. I didn't ask her permission, so I hope it's okay. Um, I shared with you a little bit about Nicole and I leading up to Sunday. had a couple, We've been having a couple rough weeks, and some of that's been spiritual warfare or whatnot. And so we get here Sunday, and we're just like, God, we, we just really want you to work and all of that. And, and we really saw God move, both in our lives and in other people's lives. And we both were saying to each other, you know what, we would go through that again if it meant that. And that's sort of the way it is in our lives as Christians. That, you know, we realize that there's times in our life where all this yuck can be happening to us. But when we're in fellowship with God, when we're in that sweet spot with God, all this other yuck really can't take away or supersede the good that comes, that that exhilaration of fellowship, of seeing God work in, through our lives, and just watching Him go beyond what our circumstances are. And that's what Jesus here is saying. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you, and your joy then may be complete. The word means to be filled to the full, to abound. That there's room for nothing else. That there's that much of a exhilaration of fellowship, of being in the presence of God, that just supersedes everything else and puts everything else in perspective. Again, that's why the folks in the book of Acts could rejoice that they were beaten and counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. That, that's why, down through history, Christians could, could rise up and and, and be counted for Christ, and yet go through all kinds of... And, and yet be joyful? Yeah. Because in that moment of suffering for Christ and going through what they were going through, they also realized that God was bringing them into a closer fellowship with Him, and there was something in that moment and in those moments that all the yuck that was going on, all the suffering, all the persecution, all the trials, all the tribulation, could not take away. Because that's what Jesus' joy will do. It will be so deep-seated in us that that you and I have this sense that we are on the same page with God. And when we lay our heads on that pillow at night, God and us are like that. And when we are at those moments in our life, then everything else sort of like, because God and us, we're, we're okay. And that's what he's talking about. Then he says this, building upon the fact that if you want to remain in fellowship with me, you've got to obey my commandments. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, here's one of the most important commandments. To love one another just as I have loved you. Wow. To dearly love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John 13? They shall know that you are my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. The greatest witness that Christians, that the church can have to unbelievers, I believe, is the love that we demonstrate towards each other. And Jesus says, to the proportion, to the degree that I love you, I want you to love each other. And if we couldn't do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus would have never said it. The cool thing is, by Jesus' commanding us to do it, that means we really can do it. That empowered by the Spirit of God, we really can love each other dearly like God loves us. And can I just say, we've got a long way to go. Because there's always room for improvement. But can I tell you, as the pastor of this church, one of the things I hear from people who visit, one of the things that stands out to them is what a caring, loving group of people God is building here, that people can genuinely sense when they come into this church on Sundays and Tuesdays, that we really are attempting and striving to love each other like Jesus loves us. Folks, that is so important. So many churches today, you and I could be part of them and we wouldn't, we wouldn't feel loved. We wouldn't even know we were loved. We wouldn't even know whether somebody even knew we were there or not. Nobody knows our name. Nobody's going to know when we're not there, when we are there. We have no connection, no friendship, no nothing. As someone mind-bogglingly said to me months ago, I just want to worship God anonymously. I just want to walk into a church, be there for an hour, and walk back out. I'm like, you're missing what God said the church should be about that you and I should connect ourselves with each other and be part of a group that dearly love each other, just like Jesus loves us. And then he goes on to say, no one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. The selfless sacrifice that Jesus shared. The words lay down literally mean to set aside or lay aside. It's as if Jesus is saying that not that we... Not that we live our lives in a sense totally disregarding us for others. We've got to take care of us too. But he's saying there are going to come many times in a day, in a week, in a month, those opportunities where we need to lay aside us to help and encourage and support and love another believer in Jesus Christ. Because that's the way I loved you. And that's the example that I have left. And now you need to do this. And Jesus is saying, there is no greater way that you will remain in fellowship with me whenever I see you truly pouring yourselves out to love each other. There is no sweeter spot in God. I mean, God's Word is filled with examples of God saying how much He loved to look down from heaven and see His children just loving each other. And that brings all of us closer together. And obviously closer to God. So he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And here's where now he begins to link fellowship, which is what he's talked about now from verse 9 on. Here's what fellowship again means besides fruitfulness. And now he's connected it to friendship. A Christian... Hear me now. A person can be saved. They can be a Christian. And from a biblical definition, not be a friend of God. Because in a moment, Jesus is going to define friendship from his perspective, and he's going to show us that there's a little bit difference between a friend and just a servant. And if we truly want to be a friend of God... We want to be a friend. God is our friend. If we want to be a friend of God, what does that look like in our life? Here's what he says. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. And I no longer call you slaves or servants. Why? Because a servant is bound by duty. A servant does what they do because they're obligated. They have to. They're not doing it out of love for their master. They're doing it because if they don't do it, they're going to get punished for it. And that's that's one of the big differences between even Christians who feel like I've got to live my life in such a way that that the way I live my life and the service that I give and the I got to do it because I have to. I do it out of duty. I do it out of obligation. I do it out of guilt. I do everything that I do, and Jesus saying, No, no, you're missing the point. I want want a relationship with you that that dives into fellowship, that dives into friendship. And when you get to the friendship level, you will no longer be living your life as a Christian, doing things and living your life in a way out of duty, obligation, guilt, manipulation, whatever, or doing something because you think that if you don't do it, I'm going to whack you upside the head or fry you with a lightning bolt. Which is the way a lot of Christians live their lives. Jesus says... I want you to learn to do what you do out of love for me. I want your love for me to be the motivation. I want you to read the Bible because you love it. Because it's my word and you can't wait to get into it. You love it. I want you to pray because you love to be in my presence and you love to communicate with me. I want you to go to church and be part of a local church because you love God's people and you can't wait to get connected and become friends with God's people and have the opportunity to be loved on and to dearly love others. Jesus says, that's the difference. A lot of times it boils down to motivation. Why do I do what I do? But then notice this. This is another cool thing. Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves because the slave does not understand what his master is doing. I've called you friends. And the word friend here means intimate friend. Closest circle. Because I have revealed to you everything I heard from my father. Don't miss this. The difference between a servant and a friend isn't really obedience. It's understanding. That was profound when God showed me that. What do I mean by that? Let's go back to the slave or the servant. The slave does what the master tells them to do, whether they understand it or not. They just do it. They they might not have any understanding of why they're doing it because they don't know the master. They don't have a relationship. They don't have fellowship. They haven't spent time talking to the master to understand what's behind what they're asking them to do. Don't miss this. This is so cool. This is why spiritual growth and maturity and fellowship with God is so important. Because when you and I become friends of God from our perspective, when we truly dive into fellowship with God, we will gain understanding Not only knowing what we should do, but we'll begin to understand by spending time with God and knowing His his thoughts and how He thinks and, and how He looks at things. We'll be able to understand the why of what He's asking us to do. That's something, again, that a lot of Christians miss. They sit there and they read the Word of God and they see these commands and these things that they should do or shouldn't do, and they go, I know I should do it, I just don't understand. And my encouragement to them is as you begin to build fellowship with God, it is through that fellowship, through spending time, that you'll begin to understand how God ticks, if you will. Folks, It's no different than an earthly relationship. When you and I spend more time with our friends and we truly get to know each other, we begin to understand each other. There's a level that our friendship goes that it's almost like we begin to, to know how each other's going to think and respond in situations. And Jesus here is saying, you know what, folks? You and I have that same opportunity, even on this side of heaven, to have that kind of fellowship and relationship with God to where we not only know what God wants us to do, but we begin to understand why He wants us to do it and and what the reasoning is behind it. We begin to become intimate with God. We begin to know Him better. And Jesus is saying it doesn't get any better than that. When we get to that level of friendship and fellowship with God that's when our joy becomes filled. And and that's when we begin to do the things we do because we truly love God, because we understand Him. Part of what Jesus is going to say here in a moment of why the world hated Him and why the world will hate us is because they never come to really know Him. You know, sometimes we even as sinful human beings feel that way, don't we? That people have judged us and, and, and said things about us and, and made their own conclusions or determinations about us that weren't true. They, they weren't right. And, and, and we would say to ourselves, if they just knew me, if they would have just spent more time with me, if they'd have just heard my heart, if they would have just been able to hear what I had to say about it, I think they would have had a different perspective. But they never bothered to get to really know me. And Jesus saying, I'll give you the opportunity to know me as intimately as you want to so that you will understand. So that you will understand. Because I have called you intimate friends because a slave does not understand what his master is doing. Then in verse 16, love also initiates. When Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you, he's simply reminding us that, guys, don't start getting puffed up that you're friends of God, as if the reason you are friends and have this deeper understanding or e- even the opportunity for it is somehow because, you know, there's some greatness within you. It's all because of God's grace. And God didn't look down on these 12 disciples, the 11 at this point, with Judas now going to betray Jesus, and never looked down on us and went, oh, Jeff, you're, su- you're going to be such a wonderful guy. I just want to spend time with you. No. But he said, Jeff, I want a relationship with you. And hopefully in that relationship, you will learn to fellowship with me. And as you fellowship with me, you will gain an understanding and you and I will just keep going and going and going. And, and God always initiates that. You know, one of the songs we sing around here is his, his love will never let us go. And then the other, you, you won't relent. You just keep running. At, and, and that's the way God's love is. Because God isn't going to wait for us. God is going to woo us and, and, and come into our life and do everything he can to say, Hey, I'm over here. Will you spend time with me? He's like that friend that keeps wanting to hang out with us. And a lot of times, I had to say, we like, God, I, I just don't have the time. Okay, maybe I'll try again tomorrow. Hey, Jeff, you got some time today? Well, God, you know, I'm a pastor, and I'm in the ministry here, and I'm, I'm trying to do your work, you know, so. I used to play that game with God, and then God had to show me. That's not ministry at all. The greatest ministry is born out of fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. I had to learn that the hard way. That's why I'll say this. That's why churches, and I'm saying Oasis too, we have to be careful as the years go on that we don't get caught up in programs and activities and achievement. Because it's not in that that God is really manifested. It is through abiding in Him. I was brought up in a church years ago where you weren't a good spiritual Christian unless you were out every night of the week doing something. You weren't spiritual unless you were, you know, always on the run. This program, that activity, this Bible study, run here, run there. And yet I can even remember even as a child looking at those people going, they don't have any joy. And it goes back to this passage because you and I can be full of activity and be achieving and, and, and running programs and activities out the wazoo, but if we're not abiding and fellowshipping with Jesus, it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not against activities and programs, every church, but we need to be careful that we don't get so many things going that we're not saying to all of the people here that the most important thing is not all these things that we're doing. The most important thing that we're encouraging each other to do is spend time with Jesus every day. Because if we're so busy as a church that none of us are spending time with Jesus every day, then all that activity becomes meaningless. And there will be no joy. And then Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that remains. Notice that Jesus says it is out of fellowship with me that I'm going to send you. You're going to go. And as you go, I want your life to affect the lives of others. Now many people think that bearing fruit is just exhibiting Christian character, like the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23. And that's one of the ways that we can be fruitful. But that's not this way specifically. Here, he's talking about when he says, go and bear fruit, he's talking about the fact that as we go through life, he wants our life in fellowship with him to affect others. And here's the cool thing, folks. We don't need to focus on bearing fruit, as I said last week. We don't need to focus on how many lives am I affecting? all we need to focus on as a christian is am i in fellowship with jesus if i am in fellowship with jesus the fruit the impact the effect of my life will take care of itself that's the beauty of it that's matthew 633 Don't be concerned about all these other things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things will be added to you. If we just spend time with Jesus and run after Jesus and spend time in fellowship with him and get to know him more, out of that fellowship will come fruitfulness, will come impact, will come affecting others. As we move through life, everywhere we go, every relationship, every conversation, God will fill us up with his joy and his spirit And he will be impacting others through us. That's why I I have to just, sometimes I get frustrated. It's almost like Christians try to create ministries even within the church in order to make a difference or make an impact. And we don't need a ministry. We don't need something called something. We don't need, all we need to do is spend time with Jesus and everywhere we go, everything we do, God's going to use us. We don't need to always put labels on it. We don't always need to have programs and ministries to do it. All we need to do is teach people, you spend time with Jesus and everything you do and everywhere you go, God will use you. That's what Jesus is saying. So I've appointed you to go and bear much fruit. Fruit that remains. Not the quick decision. And then five years from now, you never see Him again. Jesus says, we've got to work on bearing fruit and affecting the lives of others where these people are going to be with us long term. Because Jesus knew there's always going to be, you know, that sad fact that all we care about is, is getting more people and whatever, but we don't worry about retention. We don't worry about sustaining. And Jesus is all about, once you bear fruit, make sure that it remains. so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. In this context, Jesus is simply saying, whatever you need to impact the lives of others for me, God will make sure you have it. You need something to bear fruit. You need something to be a fruitful Christian. God will make sure that you and I are supplied and furnished with it. And then he says, this is my command. Verse 17, once again, to love one another. Why does he end here? because I'm going to end in just a minute. He ends once again with encouraging them to love each other for this reason, beginning in verse 18. He begins to talk about how the world has hated me and how it's going to hate you. If we are in fellowship with Christ and we go out, it's not always going to be, we're not going to be well received. We're going to be met sometimes with animosity and persecution and, and people are going to laugh at us and make fun of us. And, and revile us and reproach and scorn the whole, the whole thing. And so for Jesus, he's saying, for his followers, it is very important that you become part of a church family and a body that truly love each other. Because when you go out there in the world most of the time, you're going to get beat up if you're in fellowship with me. If you, if you live promoting Christ and you live for Jesus just like Jesus, Because notice what Jesus says in verse 25. They hated me without a cause or without reason. Jesus was the perfect son of God, never did anything wrong. All he did was love people. And they hung him on a cross. (laughs) So if they did that to Jesus, Jesus says, they're going to do it to you. If you carry the name of Jesus, you carry the truth of Jesus, you try to live for Jesus, he says, you're going to be hated. You're going to be detested. Which is why, then, it's so important that we make sure that we have a group of fellow believers where we are loved and where we are loving others. Because when we get out there in the world, it's rough. And the last thing Jesus wanted for his followers was to not have a place of refuge. Not have an oasis for people to come to and be loved and refreshed and encouraged because once we go to bear fruit, yeah, some people are going to listen to us and some people are going to be impacted by our lives, but a lot of people are going to push us away and treat us very ugly. But that shouldn't stop us from going. And that's why Jesus said, I want you to love each other like I love you. Because when we're part of a a body that truly loves each other, it it can really energize us and encourage us to go back out there even though we know a lot of times we're going to get beat up. So fellowship with Jesus equals fruitfulness. Fellowship with Jesus equals friendship. Not from his side. He's always our friend, our best friend. But from our perspective, the more we obey, the more we fellowship with him, the more we begin to understand who God really is, and we become his friend from our perspective. And fellowship with God, though, also equals hatred of the world why so importantly we need to be friends with God is because it is through being friends and fellowshipping with Him that will sustain us out there in the world. Let's pray. God, thank You for dearly loving us. Loving us, God, more than we could ever imagine. Your love is unconditional. You, you can't love us any more right now than you ever have. And you will never love us any less than you do right now. Your love is constant in our life. It is absolutely consistent. It is the one thing that we can count on. And God, I pray tonight that once again, the words of Jesus have hit home to all of us. That God, if there's one thing we need to focus on in our life, it's just to spend time with you. It's just a fellowship with you. It is out of our fellowship with you that all this other great stuff begins to be evident and appear in our lives. That, Lord, we can have your joy in our lives. And it can be filled to the full. And and we can begin to understand not only what we're doing and what you're asking us to do at times, but... We can even begin to understand why you're asking us to do it or not to do it. What encouragement Jesus gives. The great encourager. And yet it was when he was getting ready to die on the cross that he shared this message. It again reminds us that he lived his life so selflessly, so sacrificially. And that's what he asks us to do as well. God, help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be a friend of Jesus. And then help us, Lord, to be a friend to others like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. Hope to see you on Sunday.